In this 28th episode of the Missile Podcast, I am joined by Sanin Souza. He's the co-founder and head of business development at Investors Lounge, a digital learning platform that helps Pakistanis make smart investments and manage their finances. In our conversation, we discuss his experience being part of the Nest.io's first batch, multiple pivots to achieve product market fit, and delivering content involving dry topics like stock trading and personal finance in Pakistan. Let's listen in. Welcome to the Missile Podcast, uh, Senan. How are you? I'm great, Zayed. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I have been following your journey for quite some time. And uh, it was like, you know, uh, one of those things where your name popped up on LinkedIn. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to reach out and see if he wants to be on. And uh, so starting off with like, you know, you were the earliest batch uh at Nest.io, uh, some, it's an accelerator that followed for some time too. And now, of course, it's a rebranded kind of to Catalyst. But like, yeah, I would love to hear more about your journey so far and what product uh, are you building and what problem you're trying to solve. So a little bit of a journey. And I, I think throughout this conversation, I'll try and keep it to where we are right now and where we would want to be. So hi, everybody. I am, my name is Sanin D'Souza. I'm one of the co-founders for a company called Investors Lounge, uh, which is an investment training and education company. What we do is we provide courses from everything from personal finance to uh, stock trading, mutual funds, um, all of those things that cover the entire spectrum of personal finance and investing. We also provide market data, financial tools, financial data, uh, market monitoring tools, and we provide these game rooms and competitions and leagues where uh, where the thesis is that if Zahid has to invest his money in <clears throat> risky inflation-beating assets, then it is better for Zahid to prepare, to learn, and to practice to build skill and confidence before his hard-earned money is deployed in any kind of financial asset. That's, that's the crux of what we're building. Um, I graduated about in 2013 or 14 from IBA with a bachelor's in finance. A couple of years later, Fast forward two years, maybe a year and a half, and we were the first batch of the Nest IO. Amazing place, amazing people. Um, so, and so my story kind of coincides with the growth of the ecosystem. I was there when the ecosystem was basically uh, taking its roots, um, and so I've been lucky and I've been fortunate. Uh, I, I don't think I can call myself a seasoned entrepreneur, but battle hardened for sure. <clears throat> So I've been part of all of these things, whether it's Y Combinator Startup School, Founder Institute, Google for Startups, all of those things. Um, I recently was uh, chosen for the Fulbright program for a master's in entrepreneurship and innovation from the University of San Francisco. But unfortunately, because of COVID-19, my campus was closed. And so I had to take uh, my classes remotely. Um, COVID was just hard on everybody. So I don't think I can cry too much about it. Um, This journey has because... Investors Lounge itself has seen a bit of evolution and pivot. Um, right now, we are a retail-focused company. We started off as a retail-focused company. But midway, we realized that you know, we had to go for the low-hanging fruit because our thesis was not as strong as we had thought it was. Right now, with everything that's changed in Pakistan, with digitization, this is where we feel we can go back and be strong at achieving our mission, which is to democratize financial literacy for each and every Pakistani out there. You mentioned like, you know, the product has had some kind of uh, quite a few iterations by the time, like, you know, where you are right now. So that doing that pivot, of course, uh, 
in hindsight, when you look back, like, you know, you, of course you knew, like, you know, you were doing something that wasn't working out. So you made changes. So what, what was that like, you know, trying to basically kill your, you know, kill your darlings, basically, uh, where you are going after a problem and a solution and, you know, you feel like, you know, you, you, you have got it, but then trying to pivot and moving into something that's more sustainable and makes more sense. It was difficult. It always is when you're so confident about a particular thesis that you have. But, you know, in due time, you also realize that you took it in your early days, a thesis that seemed fine. You know, you had 250,000 investors. You thought the Chinese had taken a strategic stake in the, in the stock exchange of your country. Everything was going to change. Cross-border investments are going up. The population, all of those metrics are still there that are still being used by startups to impress VCs. Uh, so, so, so our thesis was like the market is only going up from here. But there were some systemic internal challenges in this market. Um, so for example, if, if Zahid, right now, I somehow or the other convince Zahid that equities is the way to go or equities should be part of your life. Um, if I go past that bridge and somehow or the other convince Zahid, Zahid still has to do maybe 34 different signatures and submit quite a few documents to open up a brokerage house account uh, or to open up a stock trading account. Now that inertia that those roadblocks is not something that we can control. That is something for the regulator, for the brokerage houses. For a, so those factors we felt were, were not going to change anytime soon. It's, it's, it's been in the past couple of years, COVID as unfortunate as it was, and it's been really, really hard on people has accelerated digitization. That I feel has brought down the barriers for us. And now we are a lot more comfortable as with the fact that right now, if we go, if we focus on education and training and building skill, then all of these other factors that were not in our control, those barriers have lowered down. It's always going to be difficult to kill an idea, but you move from strength to strength and, you know, you, you listen to what people want and you listen to the environment. And I think you should be flexible and malleable that, uh, that way. Where the stage where you're at right now, how confident are you that you will be able to build something, build an actual business out of it uh, going forward with like whatever you're doing right now? We, I have to be very, my team and I have to be very honest with ourselves. This is not something that I can promise to a VC that it's going to blow up and you're going to have, I don't know, 60 million a month in terms of monthly recurring revenue. Uh, it, there is a market. There is a dire need. Especially if you look at, um, Zayed, if you look at the past two months, we, we started off and we right now are a primarily stock trading, training and education platform. But we cannot be just that because everybody in this country, if you go and you ask any of your friends in Pakistan, who is your wealth advisor? I am 100% confident that 95% of them will say, what is a wealth advisor, right? Because everybody's trying to sell their snake oil, uh, whether it's insurance or some mutual fund agents or whatever, nobody's going to give you practical, actionable financial advice. So that problem is still there, right? And people are feeling the pinch, especially in the past two and a half months, where whether it's oil prices, electricity, inflation in general, 25%, People are feeling the heat. People are feeling the pinch. So whether you look on Facebook or you look at our phones, the calls that we received, everybody wants to know, what do I do with my money? How do I protect my savings? So the usage of the product has gone up. Um, you know, uh, so we're very, very confident in moving forward. 
given that the usage and retention is where is where is it uh, where it is at pretty confident moving forward that if we cover the entire spectrum and we start teaching people and imparting uh, the education and training required and we give them that toolkit uh, we're pretty confident we can build a meaningfully big uh, large size business out of this so i'm going to like you know um, might i'm taking this maybe it's not relevant but i i i will try and you can of course decide to if you want to answer this or not but uh, have you looked into for example like i get it like you there's like a lot of hurdles when it comes to creating a brokerage account in pakistan but i'm pretty sure the youngsters i mean you know, you're young people who approach you are quite young and they might ask you this question like i want to invest in facebook i want to invest in apple so have you considered maybe like you know okay fine it's i, I mean you, i know where your heart is you you want people to access uh, the pakistani stock exchange but have you considered you know what we can uh, try to do something in the space where we can get people in pakistan to invest in stocks in facebook and stuff like that have you looked into something like that so there's two <clears throat> ways to think about it there's two ways that we've thought about it actually the first is do we even allow people to trade through our uh, platform we don't right now right and we're just in education and training sort of important company but is that uh, is that something that we might consider later on do we have the basics covered do we have the advisory and the licenses by the sccp yes we do and we'll we'll be announcing that uh, not too far into the future do we feel that the diaspora here the the populace here is is more likely to be closer to the stock exchange to the companies that are listed here yes b um, so that makes it kind of easier but the market has its own challenges do we open up developed uh, countries and their stock exchanges so for example the us um, the us whether it's nasdaq and tech companies like facebook we will have to find a way uh, moving forward sit down with the regulator and think also about whether there's exchange control policies how much money you can remit out how much money you can remit in if you if you uh, if if people who are listening have paid attention uh to what's happened in the past 15 20 years right now there's no effective way to invest in uh, in in capital markets abroad um because there are certain regulatory restrictions associated with that as well but all of that aside the thesis is still simple so for example you must have heard of robinhood it's it's an amazing application it has gamification it has its own critiques now coming up uh, pretty fast because of the gamification our thesis is you give a person uh, an app like robinhood and there are high chances that that person will trade very frequently and that person will wipe off their savings and their portfolio because they will treat it like just another gamification app and the so the lifetime value for the user is very short so be before that the journey for um educating that person and building the skill and confidence before they actually use any brokerage app that part is entirely missing and we will continue to be in a problem unless that journey is covered is it safe to say that no one in pakistan is building the robinhood of pakistan so without without taking a dig at anybody uh, there have been at these articles would mention that uh, you know a app like we would love to either be that and you know without announcing something publicly but uh we're working on something but we would love to be that 
But anybody who comes up with just a simple brokerage house uh, application, just another stock training application without the prerequisite training, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, applications have come and gone, but the number of investors, since I have probably hit puberty, have rotated somewhere around two, and that's been a long time, by the way, but it's been around 250,000. And so there are systemic challenges in the market, which have to be solved. So uh, let's go back to what you mentioned earlier that like you are more focusing on the education part and basically providing, you know, uh, you know, dummy accounts to people or students to, you know, play with money, virtual money um, so that they can learn stock trading. What kind of courses are we talking about? Are we talking about like courses where uh, someone just learns more like the basics of um, stock trading? Or are we talking about like, you know, this is how you value a company. This is how you do you know analysis. Are these like different courses or is just like one course that gives you like, you know, uh, everything that you need to know about in investing in the stock market? So great question. And uh, thank you for getting into that as well. The idea is to have... Ma the, if anybody's watched Masterclass, it's brilliant in terms of production quality, masterclass.com, and they get the best out of every field to develop a course with them. So Serena Williams could teach you tennis, Neil Gaiman could teach you writing, literature, all of those things. We try and follow the same concept in Pakistan. So you will have basic courses, you will have intermediate courses, you will have advanced courses. You will have courses in stock trading, in mutual funds, in general personal finance, insurance, taxation, the entire spectrum, right? Because we cannot leave somebody with the basics and then expect them to learn themselves. All of those things, but even that is insufficient. We should be in the business of not education. We are in the business for meaningful, positive behavioral change. If I cannot, if Zahid just consumes a couple of videos and I feel Zahid is going to be too well for himself. That is not going to happen. We will have to uh, enact or bring about a meaningful change in your financial discipline and your financial behavior. For that, it will require the components that have worked for the world in terms of ed tech. So not just gamification, but quizzes, uh, things like that, that reinforce those learnings, reinforce those concepts. Um, all of those elements that have, you know, that are best case practices for EdTech. That is, we believe the way where you, so students from one to grade 12 and even university, what have we been taught? We've been taught basic numeracy. That's it. All of those memes that you see where you have a student saying, do I know how to pay my taxes? Do I know how to invest? Do I know how to build generational wealth? And you see the school just throwing the quadratic equation at them. Those kind of memes are true because we've not been taught important essential life skills. And that's that's the high level part of it. But at the at its root, we want to be and we have to be a behavioral change company that brings about a meaningful change in your financial discipline and financial behavior. Are your courses mostly uh, B2C as in like you're directly going after the students and anyone wants to learn? Or is it more like if you're providing like B2B as in like you, someone can come in and say, you know what, I want to purchase this uh, course for my employees so that they can learn like, you know, some, some, I, I don't even know if this happens in Pakistan where employers uh, invest in employee uh, educational development and all that stuff. So is that like, you know, is there, is, is your business model morally mostly like B2C or is this some component of B2B2? B2C. And so if it's a student, if it's a salaried individual, we've been getting 
um, you know, requests from everywhere. But that's a very important point, point that you've highlighted. Do employers invest in their financial well-being or generally in their well-being of their employees? My guess is not too much, but it does come under something that's called employer branding in Pakistan. So even if the employer does it for employer branding purposes, we're fine with that. And right now, if I have to be very honest with you, Zahid, the past three, four months since March, we've turned to this pivot of B2C uh, and this education and training bit. We've reached, I've received requests from so many different areas for so many different new things that I just feel I'm evolving and I'm, uh, I'm pretty, um, I'm a lot hungrier than I was before. And, um, and the business just keeps evolving because we've even received requests for, so there's a startup called Abhi, right? Abhi Finance, which does earned wage access. And they came up with this amazing uh, concept. They said, is it possible for you to, you know, for SECC and below to create courses because even those people require basic financial literacy about microfinance, about micro savings investments. And I was like, in my past seven years, I'm kind of embarrassed that I've never thought about that, right? Uh, because maybe the business school that I went into, went into was only upper middle class and above, because if you only had 500,000 savings, only then it would make sense for markets. But I've never thought about that, right? So these models and the way we package and deliver these, these will evolve. A lot of brands, institutions, educational institutions are reaching out, some even for certifications. So great question. And I, and I just feel that in the, in the next three, four months, we'll come up with these. We'll, our basic go-to market is big. All of that is essentially focused around partnerships because without tapping into these synergies, I don't think it's possible for one startup to go and try and teach the entire public of Pakistan about you know, personal finance. So, I mean, so, so you, you, when you are, you know, doing courses and teaching uh, stuff, right? So um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, people, students would come to you be like, you know what, of course, I, you have a, you know, uh, they, there's a way for them to practice their skills that they're learning. But once they learn it, like, you know, do you happen to know uh, how many of them actually, like, I know it's an arduous process, but do you think there are people out there after taking your course or playing around with this, you know, uh, virtual currency, uh, they might end up, sorry, virtual currency has a different meaning. So uh, that's a very interesting question because that's also kind of like our North Star metric, right? Where we feel, when I say paid subscribers is our North Star metric, seems very basic. But the logic behind that is we give off for the first 30 days free. You sign up, 30 days free. So if you want to just come in, watch a few courses and leave, that's perfect. That helps us, you know, helps you. But then you're not really our long-term customer. We allow you to take the course and you could do maybe eight, 10 courses and, and leave for, uh, for free. But the actual user uh, who change will convert to paid after a month because then that person starts monitoring financial assets, stock markets, market monitoring, all of those things that go beyond the 30 day of free trial period. And that's where we're saying, Right now, I'd, I'd say we are having about an 8 to 10% conversion rate, which I think we need to improve because smaller market um, and with better content and with more, with more value in the platform, I think we, sh we should be able to better that by quite a bit. So margin. the courses right now uh, that you offer, they're all paid courses, right? There's no, no free courses. Right now, we offer, the courses that we offer, everything that we offer is bundled into a monthly subscription of about 
547, about 550 rupees a month, right? So whether you want to you you want to take a course, you want to participate in a league, you want to market, you want to look at market data, uh, market research, all of those things. All of the access to this pla- entire platform is available to you for 550 rupees a month. It's about I think two and a half dollars a month or so. So that's how we do it. We, we've not sort of put every course behind a paywall. Sounds separate paywall. So how many students of yours in your uh, you know experience and the data I'm sure you collect uh, that you see that they actually do go through the you know the painful process of going and getting a brokerage account and actually investing in the Pakistani stock exchange. Do you have like numbers around that? I can tell you something about 2022, right? And there are a couple of new apps and and faces that have appeared in the in the what you call in the market. And I'd say about 15-20% of new accounts open are these people from from you know 18 to 25 to 30. Everywhere throughout this region, post-COVID especially and during COVID, whether it's uh, India, it's Philippines, it's Bangladesh, all of these are being dominated by these young do-it-yourself DIY investors who feel that the collective trauma that the countries experience in terms of capital markets, whether it's 2008-2009, whether it's an unprofessional, uh, risky, greedy trader that's wiped off portfolios, all of that trauma is now being done away with. If people feel that they are confident and they can tackle whether it's mutual funds, stock markets or whatever themselves, that's where we're seeing this new breed of investors come in. And I think that's where the future is at. That's our motto as well, to breed the next generation of smart investors for Pakistan. So if I were to ask you, like, how many people does it take to run something that you're running? Like, what would you say? Like, do you have like full-time employees uh, taking care of the tech part? Like, how does your team makeup look like? My team is uh, right now uh, two part-time people, but all in all, we're about 10 people, right? Who've, who I'm very, very proud of because they've stuck with us through very, very difficult times. And out of those 10 people, three of us are co-founders. So that's there's me. Um, I manage business development partnerships marketing. This Bakar Jafri, who's the main hero of the story, because he's the founder. This is his baby. And there's Hamad Hashmi, who is the CTO or the VP of engineering. So these 10 people and everybody's being paid, almost paid market uh, competitive salaries. Uh, right now we're pushing through. We've raised capital, very small amounts of capital twice, 2016 and 2021. Uh, we will need to raise serious capital moving forward. Otherwise, our runway is going to be a little problematic. But I would assume that at the very least, you would need 50,000 paid subscribers, which whether the institutions are paying for them, your employer or your uh, educational institutions, or they're paying themselves. But I think that is the kind of critical mass that you need to achieve to have a healthy, well-functioning, well-oiled business. Okay, I'm going to go back to the, the previous topic. So as far as education is concerned, um, do you, what kind of, a, you know, a reception in a way you have you received in terms of, uh, you know, the feedback and everything, like, you know, the online courses, right? Like you're teaching this online. So are people and are students more like, you know, now uh, you know, uh, post-COVID, are they more like um, you know accepting of the fact that you know you have to you know you can take a course online you can learn from it or are they still like you know have you received requests like saying you know class you know can you do this in person 
So great question. Um, yes, we do receive requests periodically to uh, you know deliver in-person training um, because many people feel that you know that's the way to go. I I don't have a benchmark because I don't really know how we would have done before COVID because this was not the, this was not our go-to strategy, go-to market. Post COVID, I just feel I have this feeling that a lot of people are a lot more comfortable doing this online. You see the hike in not just not just online courses, but also in 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 stuff that you guys are doing. So, uh, Misal's been doing brilliantly. Muzammil's been doing brilliantly. Junaid has been doing brilliantly with podcasts. And the way I see it, people are really really hooked onto podcasts right now. Who would have thought, right? And Shahzad's doing a very good job with I think the Pakistan experience. Who would have thought people would have taken out two hours to put a, uh, put uh, earplugs in their in their ears or earphones and listen to a two-hour podcast? This was not happening before. I think the appetite for that and the comfort with with that kind of media is is a lot more now, and which is why which makes our life easier. Because if we tried to deliver it all in person, I don't think we would be able to scale uh, the way we are. It's the it's, it's spread across too many different uh, places in Pakistan and we won't be able to be, you know, uh, maybe that could have been worked out. But there are a couple of institutions anyway who are trying to do this, uh, you know, Nibaf is trying to do this, State Bank is trying to do this with the NFLP uh, in some to some degree. But I think the future is is online so you mentioned three of my favorite people so um yeah they are all uh, inspiration for me to of course be doing this uh, of course uh, musammil junaid uh, shahzad so uh, i mean same thing I, I used to ask myself that too like you know do will people listen to something for an hour uh, especially like you know involving something like you know for especially for me so shahzad i think he's now going in person musammil and junaid are uh, obviously doing podcasts in person so when they record something, of course, the production value is great and all that stuff. Uh, for me, it's like, you know, I'm very direct. Like, I'm just asking questions. Like, there's no, like, back and forth about, like, you know, kya khaya, kya pia, and, you know, kahan gaete, and all those things. Like, that's not my concern here. Like, getting to the point. And so, but people do listen. That's also, you know, it's a, it's a surprising, like, thing for me also that people do listen and watch these videos. So, content delivery is definitely changing. It's, and how people consume content is also changing. And a lot of things that we assumed were, you know, true were actually not true. Uh, it turns out people like information, and if you turn that information into in, in a way that you know people are now getting used to it, uh, then it's fine. They will consume it. So, like you are in the right. You know, I, I would say like what you're doing is great, um, and but eventually, like I feel like. To scale, uh, you might end up uh, doing in-person trainings too, but that's like you know the next step, right? So let's let me talk about or let me ask you uh, perhaps about like you went through like you said in, in the beginning, you went through the process of incubation at a time when you know you probably had to explain to people what incubation is, right? So now of course no one has to explain that, but ecosystem has come a long way from there. So what was that like? You know, in 2016, joining an accelerator like you know the Nestio, how was that experience like? I'll try to break it down in terms of how it is. So what is being marketed? Everybody knows. You know, what everybody's you read about these incubators, but what is the real value from these incubators isn't, I feel when we started off, this was 2015 or 16, I feel not a lot of people had a, had a great idea of, you know, what they were saying. 
looking back, you know, it was early days. How many startups did you have before 2015 or 2016? So people either came from traditional business backgrounds and they were trying to advise young people on how to run tech startups. That wasn't, I don't think that there was too much value in that. The value was that the people at, especially at the Nest, especially Jahan, right? Um, and all of the board that she brought together, there was, there was definite value in the networks that they had. So if you had a clear idea of, if you could ask something, all I had, if, if I was a young person with clarity of thought, I said, this is what I want to achieve, but I'm so young, I'm so new to the market, I don't know these people. Can you help me? Can you do those introductions for me? Immediately. So again, it's like LinkedIn. You could use LinkedIn like Facebook, but if you're smart and you know how to play the right cards and you're networking the right way, you will extract a lot of, um, you know, value from that. Or otherwise you could just keep posting, you know, pictures of yourself or quotes every day. That's not going to take you anywhere, right? Uh, so it's, it's all about how people kind of, so the, the networking, networking to, to build partnerships, to build your sales funnel, as well as to the investors. Where we, would, we didn't have, we would not have had a platform to advertise our product to people who had capital. So those demo days and all of those things not only built our confidence, but our first round was in 2016, right? And that came through the next time. So, so would you say that it's it's now? It is it is it? There are quite a few in, uh, incubators, accelerators now. Uh, I, I completely lost track of it. And there, what there was a point where I was tracking startups that were graduating from there, but it's just too many now, and most of them don't last uh, that long. So I've stopped following that. So, do you feel the value is still there? Like, is it is it worth it? Like, if I were to ask you, like, hey, me startup hand, you know, this is what I'm doing, and I really really do need like a network, right? Like access to network. So would you say like go this route and you know join an accelerator? So for both the startup in terms of expectation, that has to change. But also in terms of the incubator slash accelerator, their thought process also has to change. Like like when we started off an incubation in the Nest IO, it was literally like maybe they got that wrong, right? And Jan would be the first to admit it probably that we we would have to be there from nine one founder would have to be there from nine to six or nine to seven. Right. It was almost like a classroom. It was all that could be right. And to my uh, best uh, understanding, I don't think that was the right way to go about it because you should be pushing your founders. Okay. Take your session. Here's a meeting, go out in the field, come back with data, come back with customers. I think that feeling has kind of changed from keeping many incubators across Pakistan might want to host their startups in one place. So that, you know, it's good for PR, it's good for pictures, it's good for people coming for meetings. But at the end of the day, it comes at the cost of the founder being A, again, would be a mistake on my part, being too comfortable and not going on, uh, going, going out and doing what I should be doing, which is sales and insights from the market. If it comes at the cost of that for four months, you're going to be in deep trouble. I have my thoughts on the, on the incubators and accelerators. Uh, and I really hope I don't get in trouble saying this, but it's, I feel that they are mostly like glorified uh, internet cafes. Um, and I think mostly there's not much work being done. That's because I, I just don't feel there is a skin in the game. Uh, they don't have skin in the game in the sense that they're not investing in, in any of the startups. So they're providing space and all that. You know, I, I'm not saying that's cheap or I'm not saying that you know, it's not it's not valuable. 
But then again, they, they have no vested interest in the startup succeeding that way. So, which is a completely different model than what we have in the US, other places, right? So they have like a vested interest in like making sure the startups do succeed. So I think that reason, for that reason, I would just say like skip it. Um, so if you know anyone is interested in joining, of course, uh, do consider joining it. But uh, if there, there's, you really have to know what you what you are going after. If you are going after like, you know, uh, meeting people, networking, yeah, it's a great place. But if you're going after like, you know, to hone your skills and maybe have people back you t- till the end, like I, I really don't think that would happen as an incubator. But that's for, of course, that's my uh, opinion on that. So anyways, moving on. So when you, uh, you know, when you started out, like, you know, I ask this uh, every, every time I have a founder, I usually ask this question uh, because it just helps me learn a lot more about like, you know, what, what assumptions did you walk in with? Like, were there things that you thought um, that you will be able to do, for example, when it comes to tech, when it comes to product, when it comes to market, but when you actually started working on those things, it turns out like you were completely, you know, off base, like you were completely wrong or things don't work that way. Was there something that you experienced in that way? I wouldn't be too often saying that almost all of our assumptions were incorrect, right? How do you achieve? And I'm not embarrassed to say that. Started off young, nobody to guide. Probably there should, there really is and many times nobody uh, to guide anyway. How do you achieve product market fit? How do you collect data? You know, what kind of tech you choose? What kind of sales is a, is a, a per month is a good amount of sales per month? You don't really don't have it. Maybe I am, I'm a group of 10 people and maybe you can pay each person, let's say 100,000 and that's good enough for you. Is that the way it should be? Is that the way it should be for tech? Is that the way it should be for VCs? You know, how all of those things. I think one of the, Two of the programs I think people should really attend is Y Combinator Startup School and Founder Institute because their curriculum is really good. The curriculum, I don't know who the chapter that's delivering it, who's delivering it. The curriculum is really good. Um, So those kind of things. So I wouldn't be wrong in saying that exposure to people in Silicon Valley, to people from other regions who've made it, who've exited past previous startups, I think what they say makes a lot of sense because they've done it and they failed and they'll be able to communicate to you and they will say, look, I made these mistakes. You might want to go and double check if you want to do the same. And I'm not in a position to maybe uh, suggest that this is 100%, I'm confident 100% that you should do this. But these are areas in which you should, you know, constantly be looking um, at. So all of those things, I think uh, when we started off, Early days, I think we were very confident because we were probably one, one, some, one among three startups that raised capital right back in those times. So we thought we were checking all the right boxes. It was very later on in life because we did lose a big chunk of our equity. We didn't realize it was a problem then. We realized later, much later on and the people around us didn't think it was a too big a problem. It was only after conversing with people in Oman, people in the Valley, other VCs, and they were like, uh, I think your cap table, your capitalization table is a little problematic and it's going to be a problem trying to fix this. And we're like, okay, now this is something that is serious and this is going to take some doing to undo. So a lot of those things, I think, along the way, but I would really suggest my time at the University of San Francisco, why Combinators, Startup School, Founder Institute, 
as well as these really smart people who've done it, who've exited before, maybe you can pick up stuff that you would anyway pick up 18 months later, but those 18 months can make a world of a difference. Yeah, I mean, in terms of startup content out there, uh, there is so much out there now that it's like, it's not, an, you cannot make the, make this excuse that, you know what, I, I didn't know what like, you know, customer acquisition cost is and how to calculate it. Like you, you can't say these things anymore. Uh, you, you should know these things and, you know, it's not something that someone has to teach you. I mean, I, I know I said some things about incubators, accelerators, but what, one thing I would like to mention here is um, the fact that maybe the business schools in Pakistan might not teach you anything about entrepreneurship. So that's the gap they actually fill where they do teach you something about the entrepreneurship and how it works. So, you know, there is that, like, you know, I'm just taking a dunking on uh, incubators here. <laughs> so, so I'll, I'll be very honest. 2013 is when I graduated. It's not too long ago, right? It's nine years. 2013, 14, eight, nine years. Back then when I was graduating, the thinking was, unless you're in Engro or in Junilever or in PNG, you're a failure. So people have not people had not even accepted other industries, let alone doing something on your on your own. And I'm not even saying tech startup is the only thing to be. You could be a manufacturing concern. You know, you could be an SME. I don't know. Over glorifying even the tech industry is going to be problematic moving forward as well. From a base that is not very literate, from a manufacturing base that you should you should try and exploit as well. But those business schools, for namesake, have started off these entrepreneurship programs and you know, these spaces, but those are actually glorified internet cafes. I think the other accelerators and incubators are still trying their best. I don't know what the future is for them, but if they don't keep their game at, you know, if they don't bring their A game, I think even they're going to have problems. But in business schools, maybe apart from Lums or something, I think it's, it's not pretty great out there. I don't want to name and shame, but yeah, I, I think it's the... Uh, those are not not functioning like they would they like they should function at the very least at the very least even if you are not imparting the right knowledge create the environment the circum uh, the environment and the motivation in people at the very least to go and pursue their jobs at the very least create in them the comfort that failure is fine that they should be fine with failure and why they should be pursuing entrepreneurship. The first course that I took at USF was philosophy of entrepreneurship. And they, we had six debates, that's all the course was about. And that was about who should be an entrepreneur? Who is an entrepreneur? Why should I be doing this? You know, Because you're going to go into some territory that is uncharted and it's going to be really difficult. You should be clear on head why I'm doing this. Um, if it's just another me too thing, you know, you're trying to copy somebody's idea and you look trying to sort, sound cool because the spot, spotlight is going to be on you for a couple of months. Yeah, things are not going to go uh, really well for you. So uh, I have a couple more questions before I let you go. So one question I have for you is like, what is right now your biggest challenge? It could be technical, it could be market, it could be something else that's like not in your control or something. But what is it like that you are basically you know trying to solve like as of right now so couple i'll try to keep it really short but I'll, I'll i'll try to give you an analogy so i'm probably 30 32 right if you try to sell my generation a cream that makes them look good today or tomorrow they'll buy it if i try to sell them a cream that's going to defy age and anti-aging serum that's going to make them uh, you know protect their skin you know 
and make it last for 20 years or whatever, right? Wrinkles and all of those things. Anything into the future, I don't think we register as, as a tangible benefit. So something like investing, which is like washing the paint dry, something that's long-term, getting to think about things like retirement is a challenge, right? Talking to people who are so, and I think this is growing, so in, um, in love with instant gratification, whether, you know, maybe Instagram and things like that kind of just uh, amplify that. How are you going to do that? That's why this nation became absolutely fell in love with cryptos, right? And they start going, you know, uh, crazy with, with, with Binance. But tell them about, if, if I tell somebody that you could earn 750% in a week, they'll be willing to go all out. They'll take off from their offices and they'll miss their classes and go and take that shot. But if I say, you know, you could earn maybe 75% in 10 years and that's the way to go about it and to manage your risk and build wealth, I don't think it's going to register. Concepts of the future don't register. So I think a challenge on our end, and it's a great problem to solve, is how are we looking to communicate? How is our comms looking like, you know, with the, being honest to the mission and being honest in our communications, because we have to be also, there's a regulatory push of that. How do we deliver communications and the message and advertise in a fresh, inspiring way that makes people commit to and fall in love with what is available to them and what is right for them. Um, the second is right now we'll have to move from equities to other things as well, because it's like an anti, if I am only stuck with equities, uh, it's like, I, I don't know, I, I like to call it equities my scene. Regardless of Zahid or, you know, if you have gastro issues, if you have a headache, if you have a toothache, I'm trying to push equities down your throat, which is wrong. A, uh, you know, that could be the wrong fix. And B, you could probably not tolerate it well. That's the best kind of analogy I would look. Everybody's trying to push, you know, their snake oil uh, down people's throats. That holistically to create a product that is holistic, interesting enough and effective, that is a challenge. The third, I think, is regulatory. Um, you know, there are certain things in this particular sector that you have to be very careful of, that you cannot advertise, that you cannot say, and always kind of having those second thoughts of whether I can say this or whether that is not, that restricts your creative freedom and control. And within those boundaries, operating within those boundaries, obviously, is a challenge. And uh, I think the last is overcoming collective trauma that people have had of past experiences. So yeah, those are Sounds good. So, so it seems like you just summarize your challenges. You're basically talking about mostly like behavioral stuff, uh, which changes over time. Uh, people going from, you know, become going after the, the plots and everything, going from Plotistan to maybe like equities uh, and, you know, other adjacent like, you know, instruments, financial instruments like bonds and stuff. So, yeah, that definitely takes time. And so that's one thing that when we were talking about Robin Hood, I wanted to mention it, I completely forgot uh, that like here in the U.S., something like Robinhood was successful because there's already a market here. You don't have to explain to people most of the time that what a stock is, like people understand what a stock is. So for Robinhood, it was basically like, you know what, uh, let's just remove the $5 that people are paying every time they purchase a stock or sell a stock. 
uh, and make it free. So that was their entire play. But anyways, uh, so before I let you go, uh, one question I want to ask you is, of course, you know, where do you where do you want to take Investors Lounge? Uh, what's the what's the North Star metric? Yeah, uh, when I was deciding, the North Star metric uh, was paid subscriptions, and that's very basic in that end. But if I had to consider a milestone that this is where we would want to be, we would want to, at the very least, whenever we, you know, towards the end of our journey, 10 million uh, people, 10 impacting 10 million families and bringing a meaningful behavioral change in those 10 million people. That's why I say the product has to evolve to become that sort of, um, you know, fix for people that where you feel that if you've taken these three months and invested in the investors own journey, you are a different person. You've re-engineered your life. Maybe that sounds like a very poetic or ideal thing to say, but I really believe that that, that can be possible. And then there is that, uh, that goal of hitting the 10 million number that at least 10 million people and therefore X number of people, 10 million families should be positively, meaningfully impacted um by investors lounge thank you thank you for being on the missile podcast it was uh, lovely hosting you and learning more about you and your journey like i'm really really impressed i just want to say that on the record i'm very impressed like you are in the most difficult of regulatory environments and you have survived for this long and so it just goes to say that like you know uh goes to show that you are absolutely a cockroach right like that's there's a term in startup startups that use cockroaches you're absolutely a cockroach when it comes to these things where you're like you know what and we're just going to face whatever you know people throw at us or whatever the you know the regulators throw at us or whatever the market throws at us and just keep you know moving forward so really commend you on that and uh, best of luck in the future thank you so much Zai. thank you so much for having me and yeah just let's let's just hope we don't have to face a nuclear uh, sort of blast uh, not cockroaches that end I think the difficult times should end here and hopefully we'll we'll come back a lot stronger so yeah keep us in your thoughts keep us in your friends thanks for listening to the missile podcast I hope you enjoyed the podcast and will thank me by writing a review or sharing it on social media make sure you follow and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode thanks again see you soon